Hello, hello guys. How are you guys doing out there in quarantine world? Um, I am okay. I'm okay. I think it's uh, finally sunk in uh, the reality. I think it's finally sunk in the reality that we are in and uh, just trying to deal, just trying to deal and survive and have us not all kill each other over here. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's what the goal is every day is to just push through. And my solace is right now this podcast and you guys out there. And hopefully this is providing, you know, a service for you, a little respite of hearing and being in someone else's world and understanding other people. And um, so thank you guys. I hope so far you're enjoying the podcast. We are now four episodes in. We have a really, really great guest today. Um, her name is Carol Brooks. She is an actress. She is a comedian. She is a dear friend of mine. We actually met, uh, which we'll talk about. We were both teachers at a bar studio here in Los Angeles, formerly called Barbell, now called Embody by Marnie Alton. So I got to give a shout out to our former boss, Marnie Alton. Um, Carol today is here to talk about her journey of having an eating disorder. What does it look like? What happens in your life when you realize that you have an eating disorder? Not only that, but you realize that you have an eating disorder and you realize that you've had one most of your life and that you now have to really do the deep work of going back and investigating how it all began. So we our conversation today with her is we're going to go back with her. She's going to talk us through how she discovered it, what happened, and also how it affected her family dynamic. You know, it's a day-to-day battle. I think this type of disorder is like a lot of things where it's not, I'm healed. It's day-to-day. So I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. I hope you find it very enlightening. I did. There was a lot I didn't know, and I think you guys are going to really love her. So here's Carol. So we have my dear friend, former co-worker, all around beautiful person, actress, Carol Brooks. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, just a little perspective. We're sitting here in my closet and it's, it's a big closet. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> She just looked up and saw like all my wigs in the top. Oh my row. gosh, I love it because I've been getting into wigs for character stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love, and I'm like obsessed now. Ooh, I want to see you like in all of the wigs. <laughs> I... All right, so the reason why I have Miss Wonderful Carol here today is so a little backstory. Gosh, how long it's been? About five years. Yes, no, we were just most. talking about. Yeah, four and a half. Uh, four and a half. Uh, we used to work together at this place called Barbell. Our it was really cool. It was really cool. It's still really cool. Yeah. We just don't get to go there anymore because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're busy. Um, but our friend Marnie owns it and runs it and is the badass that uh, is behind uh, Barbell, which is a uh, studio based on uh, bar strengthening, low impact workout classes and so me and Carol both work there. She 
actually, you were working. No, we started training at the same time. But you started working before yeah, me. Yeah, that's what it was. Yes. I started training the day I moved to L.A. Oh. Or the you... day after I got here. I didn't know it was that quick. Yeah. So wait a minute. So how did you find out about the place? When I'm... Okay, so I had made... <laughs> I had made like a really rinky-dink home video because I was teaching bar in Arkansas. Okay. And I made like a video to send to all bar studios in L.A., and I did. Like, I reached out to so many bar studios in L.A. before moving here. Then I came here, like, two weeks before moving here to find an apartment for my boyfriend and me. And I met Marnie that weekend. I, like, took a class because she had already... She responded to me about my video. She, I think she was the only person that responded. <laughs> she really liked the video. And, um, yeah, I got the job, like, before I even moved here. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I never thought to, like, do a video to get... To get a job, I feel like I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but I mean, that's really that's a, that's putting in some work there, and that's yeah. actually I find that very impressive that you did that. <laughs> it was pretty good. My boyfriend filmed it. I was thinking about it the other day for some reason. I was like, "What did we even film that on?" Because it wasn't, even though it was only four and a half, five years ago, whatever. You weren't filming everything on iPhones at right. that point. So I don't even know how we made it. That's not interesting. I don't know. <laughs> But um, we did it. And I think at the end of the video, it was like, coming to L.A. October 2014. <laughs> so it was like a trailer. Yeah. A trailer for myself. And I was like, it was just like footage of me teaching bar and me, like a voiceover of me being like, I, in my time teaching bar, I have l learned so much more than I've taught. <laughs> Oh Do you God. still have this video? Because I, I want to see it. I try to find it. I would be, I mean, I would be humiliated and probably a little worried about myself, but um, <laughs> I should try to find it. So anyway, so we met at Barbell. Uh, and so we were training at the same time, but then I, because I was doing a show, I didn't start working there until a couple months after you started working. But the reason why I have her here today is, so while meeting Carol, who is lovely and wonderful and beautiful... Uh, she is also thin. She was much thinner at that point. And I think you concerned a lot of us, obviously. Yeah. And it was so interesting because I think in this day and age, you don't want to make the assumption that someone is dealing with right. like an eating disorder or anything. So your first reaction is like, oh, well, you know, maybe they're just busy or you know, stressed mm -hmm. or whatever. But I would say maybe about four months into me teaching there, you got even thinner. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, I don't, I don't think this is just her, like, being stressed right. or anything. And then I remember me and Marnie having a conversation about it. And she kind of asked me what I thought about it. And I, I didn't know you that well at right. that point. Like, I knew... You know, that you were like always really happy and really sweet. And you were at that point, you were really into making like the energy bars. Oh, yeah. Oh, and oh, like talking we'll talk about, about healthy that. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which probably would have been now in hindsight, I think was a little of a hint, hint. Right. Um, but at that point, I was like, oh, you know, maybe she's just, you know, it's just, you know, we're all here working in the yeah, bar. Like, this is just what people do. Like, yeah. other people do that too. And so I remember her having a conversation with me and saying that other clients were also coming up to her right. and asking her about it. And finally she talked to you about it. 
I remember, but maybe I have it wrong, but I remember coming to her and telling her that like, oh, I think I'm anorexic. Every time I have, because I have been bulimic in the past too, but every time I like come out about an eating disorder, it's always like, I think I am this thing, even though, or I think I have this problem, even though you're certain you have it, but you're not at first. It's weird. It's like, you've heard about it. You're educated on what these things are. But you don't really, I guess it's just a resistance to identifying with it or something. Or it's like, well, but that's not me, is it? So it's just very, has, I was very like hesitant or reticent to say that. My boyfriend actually, I think, said something to me. This was like, I moved here in October and this was like late January that he said like, I think you're too thin. And he had never, I'd had certain people, my sister tried to tell me before I moved to LA and then... She was really the only family member that tried to say anything. And then um, I'd had clients comment on, like, ooh, you looks, you're still losing weight. Like, what's going on? Before you moved mm -hmm. here. Okay. But, because um, <clears throat> it was a good, like, two years of just consistent weight loss. But my boyfriend was just always supportive. And he saw me every day, too. So I don't think he really noticed the changes as much. But finally, when he said, like, I think you've gotten too thin, is when I was like, yeah, you're right. So... I just kind of broke down and I had read this book oddly like when I realized I was bulimic I'd gotten the book intuitive eating and I thought this time from me healing being bulimic which was just like basically stopping I stopped binging and throwing up but then I just got very very probably like started out as like orthorexia which is just like very conscious like health conscious you like right. eating really disordered eating but in the name of like health right yeah i didn't realize there were so many different yeah. types of eating disorders when i are. looked them up because yeah. growing up for me i think all you knew about was there's bulimia mm -hmm. bulimia and then there's anorexia mm -hmm. and that's it mm -hmm. and if you're not either of those then you're fine right? yeah then you're fine like yeah. they don't fall under those categories right. and you're okay but like now it's like maybe 30 different types yeah, of I mean, categorized eating And there's disorders. also, like, with the, the several therapists I've had around these things, it's also, like, there's also just disordered eating, which is, like, not full-blown eating disorder. It's strange that you just flip the words and it's a different thing. But, I mean, I think, I think, like, most women have, or I don't want to say just women. Guys deal with this, too. Yeah. But, like, most of my girlfriends in life have had disordered eating. I mean, we all have shit around it you know so but yeah i i went to marnie and this is my memory maybe she approached me first. maybe i, I have remember. it i could perhaps have this all i just wrong. remember we went out to sugarfish and maybe who knows maybe she was like planning on saying something or maybe she did bring it up but i just remember telling her and she was i mean we had only known each other for uh, i'd only been teaching for like six weeks or something because this was like late January, maybe February. I don't know, a couple months. Basically, we didn't really know each other that well, but she was amazing and was immediately like, okay, you can't teach two classes in a row anymore. Like, because she realized I didn't need to be exercising so much. And she actually, oh my gosh, I hadn't thought about this in a while. And I think she'd be okay with me saying this. <laughs> but she, she talked to my therapist. Really? She had a phone call with my therapist. Because she was like, how can I help you? I need. Can I talk to your therapist so I can figure out like how I can support you best? Mm. Oh my gosh, she's fucking amazing. So I went to teaching like one class, you know, you know, max at a time. And like, 
she really just gave, I don't know, she created such a cool space at Barbell, and it really gave me, and, and the clients too, everybody was great, I don't know, I didn't feel self-conscious at all, because I mean, I slowly started gaining weight over the next couple years, I mean, year. So the click you're saying at that point was your boyfriend saying, yeah, I think saying you might it, be getting too And then just thin. like me, <clears throat> okay, so I can't really talk about my eating disorder without talking about what was really underneath it. Okay. Because I don't want to generalize here, but it's like for all those people out there who do improv or sketch or something or any or any acting, it's like what you're talking about is not really what's going what the problem is. Like right. what's really going on. You yeah. know? So it really wasn't about food. It really wasn't about being thin. It really was about a bunch of other shit. <laughs> Which was my family life and my childhood and I didn't realize that until I think I had been in therapy with Elise Resch, the the co-author of Intuitive Eating, um, which saved my life. I had been in therapy with her for like a month and she would weigh me every time and it was like, you're not gaining weight or you're still losing weight and it was really frustrating and I was talking a lot with my parents and I noticed a few weeks into the therapy that like the days I would talk to my mom, I wouldn't be able to eat. And I just, I don't know, something in me was just like, I think I just need some space from them, from my right. mom and dad. Mostly my mom. At the beginning, it was mostly just like, I can't talk to my mom anymore. The moments that you would talk to your mom, so you would have a conversation and did you immediately, when you got off the phone, was like, I don't feel like eating today because of something negative? Or would you just look back on the day and realize... I think it was realize... more like, I looked, I remember it was like a night and I looked back and I was like, I couldn't eat today. And then I was like, wait, I talked to mom and had a really... She wouldn't have seen it as a hard conversation, but for me, it was a very hard conversation. And so I took some space and after a few weeks, I, because it was very strange for me to go that long, especially without talking to my dad, because my dad and I were really, really close. And so I, I wrote them and I was just like, I'm just taking some space. I think they were really, really shocked. Like for them, it came out of nowhere. But as soon as I stopped talking to them, like the week after I went to Elise, like I had started gaining weight. Really? Yes. Like it was immediate. And just like how I felt, it was completely different. So that was for when I stopped talking to them it was February of 2015. So that was over four years ago. And I just had a meeting with them last week. <gasps> what? Yeah. Okay, so let me go back for a second. Yeah, we need to go back. So I want to go back to the beginning because okay. you said that you, before you even moved here to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. you were dealing with bulimia. Mm -hmm. So I want to see if I can make the tie between that and what, you, what you're saying is obviously tied to issues within your family dynamic mm -hmm. or growing up. Mm -hmm. So... Looking back on it, because I'm sure you've done this in therapy, oh, yeah. what was the beginning? The beginning <clears throat> was actually, it was actually college. I think it was moving away from home. I started for about, let's see, from like 18 to 20, for about five years, like 18 to 23, I was just like, I was binging. I could, I would go through spurts of just extreme <laughs> binges, but I wouldn't throw up. I was just overeating. So it was like compulsive overeating. And it was just such a thing. I mean, there was just so much shame around it. And I just didn't think anyone else in the world ever did this. I was the only person who like had this problem, which has been kind of like 
the biggest lesson I think for every kind of roadblock I've come across in life. It's been the feeling that you're the only one and then realizing you're absolutely not. Yeah. But I was just so ashamed of it. And I would just, I mean, looking back at my 18 to 23 year old self and this was, so I had grown up in Arkansas, went to college in New York, then moved abroad for grad school. I was just so lost. I just had no idea who I was because I, my, the family dynamic, we were just like so deeply like enmeshed with our parents and they, we just like, I mean, I'm one of five and I don't want to speak for them, so I just won't. But I was so unable to like find myself as like a separate person. I just didn't know what to do without my parents. Were you the youngest? No, I was the fourth of five. Okay. So I'm a younger sibling but um so yeah it started out with the overeating and then at a point I think just because of the shame around that and you know the weight fluctuations with that because it would it would go from like extreme overeating to extreme dieting and I just thought I just didn't I mean I can't really explain it because I'm so not like that anymore I'm so much more self-aware but I just I it was just this like dirty little secret that I had that I just only ever told like three people, I think. Well, two being my. I guess I really only talked about it with my dad because my mom, if I would tell her, she'd just be like, go take your medicine or something. Like she wouldn't. I wouldn't. Actually address it. No. And what was your binging like? Ooh, when you say binging, what it completely did that... evolved? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it started out in college as just like kind of. Una- I was just completely unaware of what I was doing. I think when I started living on my own, so like outside of a dorm and in an apartment and by myself and just consistently dealing with really bad depression. And like sometimes the only times, the only way I could get myself out of the house was like to go to a bodega and buy, I remember like one night in New York, really late at night, because I would oftentimes like have really late night binges, but like going and just buying a ton of cereal. And the man at the bodega being like, I think it was like a Saturday night. Oh, this is so sad. Um, the man at the bodega being like, stocking up for Sunday morning breakfast for your family or something. For my family, too. I remember him saying that. And I was like, well, I'm like 20. But yeah, I guess. <laughs> I remember being really embarrassed and just being like, mm-hmm. no, I was going to like eat it all <laughs> by myself. And I remember I would just, I had a habit, of, um, not a habit, but I had like a lot of oversized clothes because... I knew that, like, the only way I could get myself to go out of the house after a binge was, like, if I had something, like, really big that wouldn't show my belly because it would be so distended and so uncomfortable. But this went on for years like that, but where I would, like, really plan out a binge. I'd be talking to someone. I'd be with someone. And in my head, I'd just be thinking, okay, like, I'm going to run to the grocery store on my way home. And, like, I don't know. I had certain things that I would get. And this happened in Europe, too, when I lived abroad. I had roommates too, so it became kind of a secretive thing at that point until one of my roommates kind of started noticing and I told her. And then what did she say? She was really sweet about it because her her sister also had eating disorders and would binge. And I mean, her family would like laugh about it though. And I remember being like, how could you laugh about this? It's not funny. I don't know. I think that her sister had like kind of worked through it, but that was kind of amazing because that was the first time I'd ever heard of someone else doing it. Right. And maybe that was also their way of, like, not making you feel too yeah, guilty about it. for sure. She was always just like, I mean, it's okay. You can move on. Because for me, it would be like diet, 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 and then inevitably a binge. And then feel so bad about the binge that I, it was like, 
just a snowball effect. I couldn't stop it and it would just get worse and worse and worse. But she was the first person that kind of helped me be like, hey, it's okay. You did that. It's all right. Tomorrow you don't have, I mean, right. you can move on. But And so when yeah. you were doing the binging and then you said that it, it first started with the overeating and then it evolved into over-exercising? I don't think I've mentioned that yet, but I definitely did that. Yeah, because it would go from binging or like overeating to complete dieting for a while. And then the overeating became binging and then the dieting became more extreme. Like the more extreme I got in one way, the more extreme it went the other way. Um, but yeah, I would often like I'd go to the gym when I was in college. I'd go to the gym and, of course, like use the calorie counter on the elliptical machine or whatever, which... Those are so fucking dumb. They don't even, <laughs> they're not even accurate. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a thousand percent sure like, they're not oh accurate. God. The other day it was like, so you burned 450 calories. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, no. Not. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> yeah. that. But I know I didn't. No. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I would like not stop until I had burned. Um, and this was more when, when I was in the dieting phase, but say I, like I had a slip up, not quite a binge, but like I ate just a little too much. I would go and burn off what I thought was like the exact amount of calories that I had had. Cause I was, I got really into calorie counting and actually, Oh gosh, I haven't even told you about how my mom put me on Nutrisystems. Do you know Nutrisystems? Yeah. Oh my God. Disgusting. So when did that happen? In college, sophomore year of college, because I had an agent. Oh gosh. Okay. So you went home that summer and uh, like overweight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and over quote yeah, unquote overweight. Yeah. Um, and, my mom, like, tried to get my sister to, like, because my old, oldest sister is, like, has always been very, very regimented when it comes to diet and exercise. So she's like, but then you got to get Caroline on your routine. And so my sister was, like, trying to drag me to the gym every day. And I was just, like, hating it. <laughs> and she'd be like, okay, now you can have half a turkey sandwich for lunch. And it's just like, wait, what? That was horrible for me. Um, but then that year that that fall I go back to school and I like have a meeting with an agent and then they tell me you know I really I really just can't tell you how how well you'll book I mean I think I need to see what you look like if you were like just lighter you need to lose weight and I was like okay but instead of taking it like I would take that now which would be to be like fuck you I don't want yeah. to have anything to do with you as an agent am I cussing too much no okay <laughs> I mean, I think that's the first time I realized you may have said a curse word. Okay, okay, okay. You are, you are far away from my okay. threshold. Okay. <laughs> um, so now I would just be like, oh my God, goodbye. But then I was like, okay, yeah, I just need to lose weight. So I remember immediately calling my parents being like, he liked me. I just need to lose weight. And my dad being like, you know, that's great. That's just like, that's a really solvable problem. Like you can do this. And then my mom being like, I'm going to put you on Nutrisystem. I don't know how the Nutrisystem came thing, thing came up. I think she had, like, seen a commercial or something. So she puts... She sends me Nutrisystem, which is, if you don't know, I think it's still a thing, which I don't know how. I it's haven't seen dis- a commercial in forever, okay. but tell... Hopefully describe to the listeners. It's disgusting prepackaged food. Not mm. even frozen. It is not frozen. I mean, it's just chemical mush. It is disgusting. It's either, like, freeze-dried stuff in, like... Like, like an sealed. easy mac can, can that you would like pour boiling water in or whatever kind of oh, like that. okay. Or it's like, looks like a frozen meal in a box, but it's not frozen. And it just, they ship it to you every month. And it's like a month's worth of meals. Ugh. And my roommates, I, I mean, I had roommates doing this. Oh, I'm so embarrassed for my past. I mean, not really, because I have compassion. I'm like, poor thing. But gross. 
And, like, I wouldn't eat out with my friends. Like, I could not go off of fucking Nutrisystem. So that got me really in my head about food. So how long did you do that? I did that for that full fall semester. And I think by the time I came home for Christmas, I had, like, dropped 25 pounds and was feeling great. Um, you know, in my head back then. Yeah. Did you go back and meet that agent? <laughs> no! <laughs> Maybe I did. Maybe I did. Hold on. My first reaction was absolutely not. But I think I did the next summer after I had actually like lost the weight and then like put a little back on because I went off Nutrisystem. Then I think I did go back to him in the summer and he was like, you look great, but uh, I really only rep kids. <laughs> oh, good. Of course. Of course. That's, I mean. And I just remember being like, what? <laughs> like you motherfucker. Um, so that was bad. Um. And then I ended up having like an, an acting teacher tell me to lose weight because of course my weight throughout college just, it was either dieting and Nutrisystems or, or nothing and like binging. And so my weight just went up and down, up and down for years until I got into therapy at like 25. The first therapist I had was like a classic, like Freudian analyst in Italy. And he told me I was binging and, oh, I was bulimic because I was spoiled. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> this was after you were living overseas yeah, and then you had the around. roommate. And... Yes. And her mom was like training to be a, psycho- a psychologist. And so they were the first people. And my friend was like very much into therapy. They were the first people that were like, you need therapy. Right. Because therapy for me had been very like, oh, I am not someone who goes to therapy. Yeah. Like, I don't know how that was a my mindset, but I mean, I was just how I was raised. And so, I mean, talking to people was always like, no, 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 you don't do that. It's interesting. I don't know if that's like a cultural thing mm-hmm. or a racial thing, a Southern thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're both from the South, but like my, it's the same in my mm-hmm. family. Where so sad. It's like, oh, you don't really discuss your certain problems right. outside the family. Exactly. Like you kind of keep it, you know, I think a lot of people in my family have, have definitely grown out of that mm-hmm. but I would say growing up it was I, I felt like there were certain issues that people had a lot of shame around it was oh, like yeah. we don't discuss that with yeah. certain people yeah so this particular therapist in Italy told you that you were spoiled and yes. that was why you were bulimic yes and I remember like immediately leaving that appointment and going <laughs> to the like bakery and getting just so many so much bread and cheese and binging so hard after that because I was like I'm not spoiled also how is that supposed to be helpful as a therapist idea I mean he was like not the kind of therapist that I've had now since being back in the states he was very much just like I'm gonna sit here and write take notes on my notepad and then like that was one of the only things he told me because he knew I was moving back to the states and he did the one piece of advice he gave me that I feel like turned out to be right and good was like the next place you go, you need to stay there for a while and like settle down because I had moved so much from 18 to 25. I had moved like more than once a year. I mean, I was moving all the time. Like I even did a semester at SMU in Dallas. Oh, I didn't know that. Because yeah. well, I don't really <laughs> think about that. It was not great. It was after my like dieting Nutrisystem semester. I was like, I need, I just think I need real college. New York is too too hard here and so I went my sister was at SMU so I transferred there and immediately was like I want to go back <laughs> which I had just taken a leave of absence from school in New York so I was able to just go back pretty easily then went abroad studied abroad for a semester 
then went back to New York, then moved back abroad, and then moved three times there. So now, looking back on it, I realize I was just, like, constantly trying. I was just constantly needing new scenery, new people, because I didn't know how to form relationships and sustain relationships, and that's still something I work on. It's like, you know, meditation or just, like, sitting still is yeah. really, really scary if you haven't done that because it's like... What am I going to find if I just, like, look inward, you know? It's yeah. just, like, that fear of, like, what's going to be there. And I think it was kind of that expressed outwardly in the sense that, like, I just can't stay in one place for too long. I just need to keep moving. And so I did until I moved back home at 25 and got a good therapist. That's when I, like, came out about being bulimic. That's when I, like, broke down about it and finally told my dad. And how did he respond? He was great. He got me, like, in with a... Th- psychiatrist who then referred me to a therapist and she was just what I needed then she like helped me stay sane and like start to well I mean I can't say really I got healthy when I was in Arkansas because I went from I definitely like stopped binging and purging like almost immediately as soon as I was able to talk to someone about it but it was just like a really slow process of then becoming more and more restrictive so you just kind of found a way to transfer Mm -hmm. The control. Exactly. I mean, I was weighing out ingredients for salad. I was weighing out spinach and carrots and strawberries. Like, I was... And very... Like, would get super stressed. And I remember just, like, I'd be in a hurry to, like... I just remember this one time specifically. I was in a hurry to go to rehearsal because I was working at a dinner theater in Arkansas. That's where I met. Oh, my God. We have that in common. I used to work at a dinner theater, too. I performed at one, too. But then I also worked at one. Yeah, we waited (laughs) tables. I worked in the office. I performed. It was kind of amazing. Um, But I remember being late for rehearsal, but just being so stressed, like, Googling, like, calories in fucking spinach or bell peppers like things that I was making a salad with and then like doing the math so I was like okay well I weighed out this much so then that's this many calories and just like it would get in the way of my everyday life I mean just constantly it was just where I was putting all of my attention and then I met my current boyfriend and he actually I mean at first I kind of kept it secret that I was weighing things out and then Finally, I kind of just, I remember showing him, like, this is how I make my overnight oats. This many grams of oats, this many grams of raisins, because he wanted to be able to make it for me. And I was like, no, you you don't understand. You can't make it for me. You don't know how to make it. And like, gosh, he was, he's just the sweetest, like, most empathetic, compassionate person and like non-judgmental. And also a guy raised in Arkansas, no siblings, like no sisters or anything. He had no idea about anything to do with eating disorders. So he was just like... He knew I had been bulimic, and he was like, okay, this is how she's, like, found her way to, like, stay safe around food. Like, I understand, and he was really sweet about it. So he would weigh out my overnight oats and, like, make them for me how I wanted. And I still, like, wouldn't trust that he had made it with, like, the right the amount, exact, so I, like, probably yeah. wouldn't eat it all. And it got worse when I moved to L.A., probably just because we were busier, we were in a new place, but also just because, I mean, it was all, I mean, it's all just about having something that you can control like just being so desperate to have some kind of control and so I'm wondering why do you think how did how did you make the connection besides realizing that whenever you talk to your parents Mm -hmm. on the phone 
like going back, are there certain instances with your family that kind of point to where the seeds were planted? Yeah. Of like, I mean, maybe these are, maybe this is where the connection, this is kind of how that started. I mean, I just feel like this is such a complex thing because I don't want to say it's not at all about food or body image and that it's all about just food is just so readily right. available that it's like, or I mean, it's something we have to deal with multiple times a day. So it's really easy to project everything onto that. You exactly. Know? Yeah. So it is a lot of that. And I feel like it was mostly that like that was like the underneath part of the iceberg like the underwater part that was like the body image stuff and I was really I mean it was kind of easy to tie that back in with how I was raised because we were I mean we did pageants I have three sisters we all did pageants my old oldest sister continued doing pageants like till she was like 18 and at that point when you get older you're doing like swimsuit and stuff and so I remember that was the first time I think she dealt with anorexia when she was in high school but it was never really addressed I just remember my parents like trying to get her to eat something and like just not succeeding and then just kind of acting like it wasn't yeah happening yeah I mean I think she was like 98 pounds or something at like 17 or 18 so I mean that was like what I had to like look up to and there was just always a fear of being overweight I mean always since like in your family oh yeah my mo- I mean, just the way my mom would talk about people who were bigger made it very clear that, like, that is the worst possible thing you can be. It just breaks my heart because it's just not true. I mean, with the intuitive eating work, I came to see that, like, I mean, what we consider overweight, even in, like, the whole BMI system and the whole, I mean, even what doctors will tell you, a lot of times it's just not true. But also emotionally, like, with my family, I mean... I knew from the time I got into therapy in Arkansas when I thought I was getting better, I knew that there were issues with my mom. What do you think it was? Like, why do you... I mean, I think she... It's just, like, undealt with trauma. It's so... It kills me because it's just, like... Especially of our parents' generation. I mean, like, you know, you just get... Especially in the South, like, you just get married and you have kids. That's just what you do. So my parents were having... Were married at 19 and 20. And I was her fourth. She had me by the time she was 30. I'm 31 now. I'm like, what? (laughs) I would be pregnant with my fifth child? Like, no. Like, I mean, poor my kids. If I did have kids right now, like, poor them. I would, I, because I would have had no idea how to raise them. And so I have compassion for her. But I'm also like, now you have adult kids. Like, what's your excuse for not getting help now? Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I feel like. Untreated trauma is just such a cause of, I mean, it's a cause of so many, so many issues. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's weird. Like the way my journey through therapy has gone has like really kind of aligned with what's going on in the country. Like with the Me Too movement, I started to like come to terms with like sexual abuse and the kind of assault that I feel like almost all women have gone through before the Me Too movement. Hopefully this hopefully this can change some things for girls coming up now, but like, you know, the kind of assault that happens, you know, as you're a teenager when you just get so pressured into doing things that you don't want to do. Um and because you think you have to and yeah. you think like that's just what you do. So just That's just what everybody is doing. And yeah. And yeah. So it's been interesting to see that and then like with all the women's rights issues now going on and I had my meeting with my parents I think the day that the bill was passed in Alabama like 
I'm starting to see that, yeah, like, this is very personal for me, but it's these personal issues that expand and snowball into, like, huge issues that affect everybody. Because these are people making these laws, you know, like yeah. people that also have unmet needs and trauma yeah. that they haven't dealt with. And so it's just, it's just a lot to process. So fast forwarding to, was it last week you met your, yeah. met with your parents? It was a week ago yesterday. So you hadn't talked to them at that point in like four and a half years? Right. Not, I had, but not because I wanted to, not because I reached out to them. I like saw them at my sister's wedding and then they did a little pop-in visit in LA about two and a half years ago. I literally came home from going grocery shopping on a rainy November day, and I was feeling really sad that day. I didn't know why. I just woke up so sad. I drive into my garage, and my fucking parents are in my garage, and I'm, like, freaking out, holding holding up in my car, and I call Marnie. She's the best. She answered. She, like, tried to talk me through it, and then my dad comes and knocks on my window, and I'm like, what are you doing in my apartment in L.A.? He was like, we're just in the neighborhood. I was like you live in Arkansas. What do you mean? You're just in the neighborhood. But I was, I was like not at a point where I really knew how to deal with that. So I'd like let them into my apartment. I'm like, we talked, I don't even know if what you can, if what that was, was like talking. They talked at me. My mom just kept commenting on how bad I looked for about half an hour. And then they left. Um, that was the last time I had seen them. Oh my goodness. So I remember you saying how, you would talk to them and you started to make the connection that, oh, every time I talk to my mom, I don't eat this day. Mm-hmm. Every time I talk to my dad, I eat less. Mm-hmm. What was the point after you wrote the letter when that happened where you thought, okay, I just need to, I just need that. Was the letter the, I need a break? Or was it a moment after that where you were like, I, now we really are not talking. I think it was just more of like a compounded kind of realization in the sense of, I don't know if that's, the right wording, but like, yes, when I wrote the letter, I knew I needed space, but I wasn't saying that. I don't think there, unless it was just like my ego talking and I was maybe mad one day, I'd be like, I'm never talking to them again. But genuinely it was just like, I don't know what's going to happen, but right now I can't talk to them. And then today I can't talk to them. And then the next day it was today. I can't, you know, it was just right. like it every just kept single happening. day there, I was hearing the voice like, you're doing the right thing. Keep staying away. Because for the first time in my life, I started to see what life was like without drama. I mean, to use that word, but like junior high drama. Because that's what my life had been filled with to that point. Because my mom is very dramatic and she likes to gossip and she likes to, I don't say she likes to, but she does. She it makes me feel bad about myself and the world. I just thought that's what life was like. And I just thought, oh, I'm just someone who gets very, very depressed every couple months. I just had never seen the other side. And and then when I stopped talking to them and I did see the other side and I was able to stop bringing drama home because like I remember like when I would be in the in the middle of it, of something with my mom and I'd try to bring it to my boyfriend and he would, the way he would react to it would just be so like he wouldn't get wrapped up in it with me. And I didn't understand that. You're like, how come you're not with right. me? Aren't you as upset as I yeah. am? You know what? I feel like that that's a thing that happens when you're raised in it, because mm-hmm. I see a lot of that parts of that with my family mm-hmm. and having now a husband who doesn't have a lot of relatives. Mm-hmm. 
and I talk about stuff and he's like, okay, yeah, well, why don't you just like kick that person out of your life? Right. And I'm like, I don't understand that. And our family, we just talk about them yeah. like shit. Yeah. And then we still pretend to be nice exactly. because they're family. And he's like, you can just not talk to them right. at all yeah, because they don't make you feel good. Exactly. It's it's such a different concept when you are raised in that, oh, in gosh, that cycle yeah. of like having to accept people and things just because that's the way it is. Right. And just cause they're family. Yeah. And it's just like a cultural thing too. Like, you know, the saying, what if I'm going to get it wrong, but like blood is thicker than what is it? Blood, blood is, thicker is thicker than, than water. Than water. Yeah. And it's just like anything about family, like anything, family over everything, whatever it's for me, that's a really damaging message because it's like, you can't help who you're born with though. And what if those people end up being really bad for you? You're just supposed to stick it out. And I feel like a lot of people do. A lot of people do. My parents did with their families. They weren't happy with their families and they just stuck it out and then like talked trash about them. And then we were supposed to act like they didn't. It was just like, why would I do that? Okay. So at this meeting too, with my parents, their whole, like one of my mom's main question was, cause the meeting came like three days after mother's day. And like every holiday for the past four years, I didn't reach out. For me, it made sense because why would I reach out on a birthday or on a holiday if we're not in touch? It would feel kind of icky to me to be like, happy birthday, Merry Christmas. Like, that, that you're would feel too weird. Hard, that, yeah. Because we're not talking. Yeah, yeah, it would feel really disingenuous. And she, on the other hand, has written, like, I mean, sent me cards that just, like, have the cards message and then, like, love mama and daddy. Ooh. And, um, sorry, the daddy thing really gets me. I Why does that get you? Because I called my dad daddy till 27, and I really don't want to be judgmental to people who still call their dads daddy, because I know a lot of people do, but for me and my process, like, I thought I stopped talking to my parents mainly because of my mom, and I was like, I'm going to show my dad, like, how bad mom is, because if I have to stop talking, if I'm going to stop talking to him, it really must be bad. And then the more time away from them, the more I realized, like, oh, God, my relationship with my dad was really, really fucked up, too. Like, we were way too close. To the point where he was, like, Google imaging, like, my ride from my apartment to my work and, like, telling me he just, like, wanted to make sure, like, feel like he was there with me. And at the time, thinking that was sweet and now being like, no, I was 28. Like, what are you doing? Or 27. But it's just, like, daddy just kind of kills me. I don't know. That whole, it's just bad memory for me just a sign oh, it feels of a, little like a little too, too intimate too, yes it was our relationship was way too intimate um, and not i'm not saying i'm not no, alluding no, to sexual intimacy oh, but like but but intimacy in a yeah. way that is a little too much for father and daughter yeah like you didn't have a healthy distance exactly i i was so like wrapped up in him that i later found that it was like taking away from my relationship with my boyfriend and also my relationship for myself because I just wasn't able to find out what I liked. Like, I remember at a point at NYU being like, oh, all these kids in these classes like have all these opinions. Like, they really, oh, they really like, seem like they know what they're talking about or they're passionate about something. Like, I just remember throughout my 20s, like, meeting people who were passionate about things and being so enamored by them, but also like confused as to how they were like that because I just. I feel like my all my ability to like have any kind of opinion about anything had been kind of wiped away because I just didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I thought. Like, what do you think about it? Tell me what you think and then maybe I'll... Then maybe you'll know. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, that was another lesson. Like, with the distance, all of a sudden I realized... I started to realize what my beliefs were instead of the beliefs that were handed to me. And 
what my opinions were and what my interests were. And now I'm like a huge NBA fan. <laughs> Playoffs are going on. My team just got out. But like, oh my gosh. Oh, and I'm so, I mean, one thing that I do really regret is that I didn't get to play basketball growing up. But you know, it's never too late. You know, it's my friend late. used to be a part of a girls basketball league here. Yeah, there's like a comedian, yeah. a girls in comedy You should join. League. I know, I've thought about it. I'm that would be so fun. I know it would be fun. But I really wasn't even, I just wasn't able to get into things. And even acting was especially like... <sighs> Well then, Confusing. so you guys growing up, you just did a lot of pageants. Mm, so, so a lot of your plays. extracurricular activities were around more about competing. Yeah. Oh yes. So there yeah. was nothing like, oh, let's go take this dance class for fun, no. or let's go take a writing, like no. explore some writing. Or there had to be a reason for everything, and it was always like, because you're gonna, you need to win, or you need to be the best, or like. We didn't learn that, and this is something I'm learning now and having having a lot of fun with, that you ha literally have to fail to get better at something. Like, that's just the way it goes. And I, it's one of the reasons I really wish we had played sports. And we did. Like, I remember, I think I played like a year of softball and I played, I got really into tennis for a summer, but we didn't, we definitely weren't encouraged to play sports. My mom didn't want us to. If I have kids or when I have kids, I so want them to play sports. It's so important. I just feel like athletes grow up, they grow up knowing that. Like, of course, you have to lose to win. You have to fail to learn something new. Yeah, and then also some things are a team effort. Sometimes yeah, exactly. you have to lean on other exactly. people. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't grow up doing sports, but I feel like I got a little of the sports mentality going to a performing arts school because... I never felt like I was necessarily competing against anybody else, but I did feel like a lot I was competing against myself. Yeah. And so when people would tell me, oh, I don't know, you're not really good at that, or mm -hmm. you're not going to advance to the next level, then it would just kind of make me want to prove them wrong and be mm -hmm. like, all right, I'm going to like, I'm gonna do it for me because I know I, I can't yeah. if I just apply myself a little bit harder. Oh, that's amazing. Um, but I, I now having a child, I definitely, it'd be great to have her in some sort of sport. Yeah, and just to like... Or even, I mean, maybe I'm just putting it on sports because I'm such a fan now and I love listening to that. But no, I think and... it does have its good qualities, yeah, you no, know, for sure. of really challenging a child and kind of showing them not only what they're capable individually, but also what they're capable of as a team, like a right. team effort. It really is interesting how you were saying, like, how you never learned how to relate to people mm. and I think that's also a thing that uh -huh. sports gives you also sure. like having to work together with other people and kind of talk to them and kind of understand their motivations and understand your motivations and work together for you know the same uh result exactly um yeah, yeah instead it was more just like with pageants oh okay instead of learning how to relate to people or work with people it was Someone comes in the room, let me size them up and see how I'm better than they are and how I'm worse than they are. Like, just an immediate comparison. Yeah. Because I think the pageant thing really, really got in my head because I was doing that from age, I don't know, four to like 12. Oh, God. And um, I ended up getting a little bit of, oh, gosh, this isn't, this shouldn't even be a thing I'm saying, but I think my mom made such a big deal out of it that oh, it is a thing for me. Compared to my family, I got a little height. I'm 5'8", and they're all, like, 5'4", 5'3". They're, like, smaller. 
and my mom made a huge deal out of this. I don't know why. So that became a thing. Like when I had gone through puberty and like had a growth spurt, it became a thing of like, is she taller than I am? Okay, well, at least she's not taller. Okay, I have that. I'm taller than she. Like every person, every woman that I met was just like, how can I critique and compare and, and make what do I win? How do I win over yeah. them? And oh, well, she's really beautiful, but she's probably not very smart. So that's okay. Or she's not talented. Like, oh my gosh. Then when I realized like how much I was tearing people down, I mean, it was like a long process of then realizing, oh, it was because I was really tearing myself down. And so now anytime I catch myself judging someone for really, really superficial things, like if I'm intimidating, t intimidated when I first meet them, I just, I try to be in the zone where I'm just like, oh, take a deep breath and tell myself like, you're enough, you're enough. Because if I feel like I'm enough, then I don't, there's just no need to worry about yeah. anybody else. Like, especially that superficial stuff. And also like, I want to be happy for people <laughs> that have great qualities. I don't want to be trying to find out what's bad about, or bad in quotes, but like the negative traits about them right off the bat so that I can feel better about myself. Like that's so And you know, I, I, I feel like that's also, I don't know if guys do that. I feel like it's a, yeah. I feel like thing. it's specifically a thing that females, we yeah. somehow have all, you know, it's been passed down generation to generation mm -hmm. and it manifests itself in like different ways for different people, but it's the same outcome of trying to size someone else up mm -hmm. or down to mm -hmm. make yourself feel better right. or worse. And when it came with my, to my mom, I remember at the certain, at, you know, when I was still growing up, if I did find in my head that like this other girl just beat me, like she was just better than I was, or if someone was more talented or in my head than, than me. It was like, I can't let mom know that she exists. Like, I don't, it was just this weird, I had to somehow stay at the top for my mom or both of my parents. I don't know. But this is all just like in my head. This yeah. is not a real thing. <laughs> and you know, it also teaches you that two people that are successful can't exist in the same space. Yes, exactly. And when I, when I read Marianne Williamson's book, like when I first <laughs> got into therapy at 25 of what's the return to love. Oh my gosh. The idea that like someone else's light is going to dim yours or the reverse, like you letting your light out is going to dim others. Realizing that that is just absolutely not true was such a help. Yeah. That was also a help in like, reducing the drama in my life because if you're constantly feeling like you're in a fight almost or just like a competition with everyone you come again across like what a stressful yeah existence. And, and you're also putting less and less attention on yourself right because you're so outwardly involved exactly. like like you said trying to fight all these other entities mm -hmm. i can't even talk fight these other entities and things right. that really at the end of the day have nothing to do with you no it's just a way of like yeah a way of distracting and i mean i think it must be a kind of like a coping mechanism because i've done it since or i was had done it since i was so young but that's like for me that's like where my mom lives she just lives in a place of constant battle that's how the meeting felt last week was just like i'm coming to attack in fact they had done a lot of research on my therapist and like just decided to attack her for about the first half hour so why were they even 
in town. So I invited them to the meeting. Oh, okay. So, so you invited came, them mm-hmm. to the meeting with your therapist. therapist. Okay. So what happened in the in the meeting? I mean, the meeting went as horribly as it could have gone. <laughs> um, what exactly I've been happened? Very, very sad. Um, well, they so they spent a lot of time really bashing my therapist and what she does, calling it unethical, and they had read her book and were just very combative. So the beginning of the meeting was like, I had my story, which is what I've been working on writing in therapy, which was basically just like, this is how it felt to be your child. And this is how you abuse me. And read it, stayed very calm, CBD oil, oh my gosh, I've never taken it before. And then Quinn, my boyfriend gave it to me before the meeting and I like stayed so calm throughout the whole thing. And... They listened to the whole thing, which surprised me, but it was like they didn't hear anything because they immediately just went to my therapist to, you know, really insult her and then didn't hear. And it wasn't, it was like they felt like they were being put on trial and like, now you must be punished for what you've done. And it's like, that was not the point of the meeting at all. It really was just like, let me as your child tell you what it felt like. And can you then say... I see how you felt or you feel and I'm sorry, then that's it. Or just like, I see you just see me. And they just weren't able to do it. My mom, every single thing that my therapist or I said, the response was just, that's not true. That's not true. No. uh, uh-uh, uh, uh-uh. And then when we'd say you're being combative, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. It was just like a dead end. And the only time she opened up was when she started like opening up about her childhood a little bit and that was heartbreaking because it's like oh gosh if only you could do this work like you would feel so much better and our relationship might have potential to be something but she wasn't budging my dad did budge a little bit at the end and say like I see like you've really grown and you seem a lot calmer and like he just said things that made me feel like oh he saw me for who I am right now right and it was insane the amount of I mean, just hearing that, it was crazy how much healing that did. Just hearing that. I wouldn't have expected that before the meeting. I, I, I mean, my ego would have been like, there's no way they can ever make it up to me. You know, I don't know. But then hearing that in the moment, it was like years of pain and trauma and abuse can be, I, I really do feel like maybe it can be undone with a lot less than it took to like make that happen. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. years of trauma can be an healed with just it doesn't take years to then heal it yeah from the person I mean well I guess it does I've been in therapy for years but in the sense of like it just took him saying that one thing for me to be like whoa but I, being seen yeah and I felt in the moment very validated and kind of on a high after the meeting because I was like everything I've been saying and feeling about her but them because he's I mean just as much a part of it for the past several years was true like if they had come and been like so generous and seen me and heard me that would have been very surprising and probably kind of like that would have shook me up a little bit but this was kind of validating because it was like oh okay I was right so my ego got kind of a boost but then the next day I mean like what's underneath the ego boost is actually like oh well I wish I hadn't been right about that do you wonder if perhaps your mom is having a harder time with it because then it might actually really to it to admit that anything that you say happened mm-hmm. in your childhood happened. For her to say, yes, that happened, then do you think she feels that it reflects on her own childhood? Yeah. But I, I don't think she's consciously there, but 
I think she's so afraid to look at what happened that she just can't pause. I mean, her shoulders are up to her ears at all times, and she's just in a fight, and she's just got this armor. But underneath, like, I know it's like a really fragile, fragile... I mean, this might sound silly, but like a really fragile little girl. Because now that I've gotten so in touch with my inner child, I mean, I know it's in everybody. And especially in her, the way she was talking about her childhood, it just sounds so sad. And it's just like... Yeah, and you're right. In order for her to admit it, I mean, she'd have to look at how she was as a mother, but then that would have... She would have to just do any looking inward, which I just don't think she's in a place that she can do that. And that just makes me sad because I'm like, I know it's scary because I've been on the other side where it's like, I don't think I can look at this thing, but it's always, it always like looks bigger in your peripheral vision. I feel like yeah, if you just turn and face it, it's like, oh, okay. That wasn't quite as big of a deal as I thought it was. Yeah. I think in childhood trauma, I think the thing that's hardest for people to understand, especially when it's parents doing trauma to their children, is that you can really hurt someone and really love them at the same time. And it doesn't mean that because you hurt them that you don't love them. Like those two aren't mutually exclusive, but it's also the way Mm -hmm. people need to be loved. Mm -hmm. Like it's your, your point of being hurt there was to, for them to, for you to say, this is how, like, my body and my soul and how I, as Carol, mm-hmm. as a child, Caroline, how I needed to be loved, and I didn't get that. Right. And it's for them to stand there and, and witness that and say, yes, I loved you, but I witnessed that I didn't love you the way you needed to be loved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that people don't understand is that right. you can treat someone like crap and still love them but it doesn't mean that you have to accept that right first of all yeah because that's not the type of love that you want exactly and so i think a lot of people are like well i you know they don't want to admit it because then they have to admit that the exchange isn't fair right yeah and then they have to look at themselves yeah (laughs) yeah and then they have to look at themselves right That's, that's just like my wish for the world is that we could all just just look inside a little bit because it really does start in yourself. Like to be able to love someone else, you have to love yourself. Like the cliche, but it's so true. Like you can't, you can't, because how are you going to know what that even feels like or means if you're not giving it to yourself? I don't know. So I think, I know they did their best, which was their whole point was like, we, we did our best. We did our best. I know. Yeah. But your best was really painful. For me. <laughs> yeah. So I just need you to see that. Yeah. And, and that's that. and, and that's, that's okay. Wrong. And yeah. that's but you just need them to know that. Right. So how was it left? So that you Oh yeah, it was left very awkwardly. Um my dad did kind of open up towards the end, but then he kind of closed right back up at the very end and my mom brought it back to the whole holiday card thing and not reaching out on Mother's Day and I was, and then my dad was like, yeah, can you say you have all this love to share? Now you love yourself. Can you not share some of your love with your family? And I'm like, I, I can't be, to me, it's not a family who just like says happy birthday, Merry Christmas, and then is really, really hurt, are really hurt by each other, but then act like everything's okay. But there's a huge elephant in the room. I mean, I, I don't know. That's not honest to me. I really want genuine relationships, authentic relationships in my life. And 
I know it's family, but for me, it's like I'm choosing my family. Well, it's also not respectful. Yeah. Because then it's saying, okay, well, you have all this love to share, but it's okay if you get the same type of love that you don't want in right. real life at this exactly. point. Like to say, okay, I'm going to, on your terms, share with you mm-hmm. this love, this new love that I have in my life. Right. But in return, you don't have to do anything different right. or acknowledge how I felt in exactly. the past. Then what kind of exactly. respect and nothing really changes. Yeah. And my mom, the term she just kept using for me throughout the meeting was that I'm hateful. And I did get to say at the end, which I felt good about that was like, I do have a lot of love for myself now and love for others. And part of loving myself is having boundaries. And I think I have a boundary around letting someone in my life who's just going to call me hateful. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm not. I know I'm not. And if that's how you feel, then we're just going to have to part ways for now. So that's kind of how it ended. And and I just got up and (laughs) left. Some of it was like I was laughing about even the not the next day. The next day was like I couldn't bring myself to smile but I've already like started laughing at some of it I kind of since I'm doing character stuff now like want to make a character out of my mom (laughs) (laughs) I mean I I don't blame how can you not maybe a little might be a little too close too soon (laughs) I'm like yeah you're right it's too soon but because I I don't think I know what's funny about it yet I just know it's like there's something yeah but yeah I don't know I'm other than like the blowback from this I mean just like Because it did feel, I woke up the next day just feeling like an emotional wreck, but just also feeling like I had run a marathon or been hit by a train or something, like something very physically draining too. So I'm in kind of a state right now, but in general in my life, like I can't tell you how much better it is. So. And what ways when you, on a daily basis, are you looking back and you're like, oh, this, my life is better right now because fill in the blank. Because I have fun almost every day now, where I just didn't even know what that meant before because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, acting for me has always been what I've said I wanted to do. I mean, I've gone back and forth on it, but it was definitely never something I had fun doing. It was always something I dreaded. And now I've really found, like, my niche, I think, with this character and sketch stuff. (laughs) And I'm in Groundlings, and that is my happy place. I woke up yesterday very sad, went to Groundlings, had so much fun, left and immediately got like sad again. But oh my gosh, I'm just so happy I found it. I mean, so that as simple as that sounds like I'm having fun, that is like a world of difference for me because anything that I had to do in my life, whether it was teaching bar or just anything that I was doing, I would wake up with a sense of dread every day, just about life. So that has lifted. I'm no longer depressed every month or two months. And I really think that I'm surrounded by people who see me more and who I see. And it's really nice to see people and to be seen, of course, but to see people and to like really be able to relate and to communicate and to not let things just get swept under the rug. Cause that was the whole thing in our family. I don't, I have no tolerance for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. I'm just like, why waste time not saying how you feel and well to bring it back to the food stuff is like I think the way I mean the reason I was able to get so deep into the disorder of it was because I had no experience in listening to how I felt about anything 
not only emotionally, but like in my body. So starving wasn't really an issue because I wasn't in touch with it enough to even really experience the feeling of it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, wow. I never, that's, that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, like, no, I totally get what you're saying. You were, you were never in touch with your body in mm-hmm. that way. So starvation didn't really have an impact on mm-hmm. you. You never felt like you were starving. Right. Because you weren't in touch with your body enough to really understand what starving meant. Right. Did you ha- ever have any side effects? Did you ever get close to like, you know, because there's lots of like memory loss and like losing your hair. My hair. And- I would just like run my hands through my hair and it would just be like just chunks, like just chunks. I used to have very thick hair. And by the end of this, I was like, am I going bald? Like I, my, I saw my sister and besides the fact that she was just like stunned about my body, but she was like, you're, what happened to your hair? Yeah, I lost so much hair. And, of course, like, I didn't have periods. Uh, I remember, like, I think I had, like, really bad stomach cramps. Um, And then, like, noticed some symptoms once I started gaining weight again. And my therapist was like, this will happen. Like, don't freak out. It makes it hard for people to just, like, get over the hump of this. Because especially when you're in such, like, a state about your body it's hard, but um, when you start gaining weight or you start eating more, your your belly will like really get distended really easily. So I had that at once I started eating more. But other than that, I can't remember. I mean, once I got, it was weird because I think I had more physical symptoms once I started gaining weight because I think my body was just like, what is going on? <laughs> started really like breaking out into like horrible allergic. So your reactions. Horm- hormones like, were like oh, just yeah. all over my, my the place. whole upper body at a point was covered in eczema. My face. I would wake up with my eyes swollen shut and like... I remember that. Mm. I remember. Oh, God. It was so bad. But yeah, I really do think that was it. Like, because I was emotionally out of touch, I was physically out of touch. So there was just no... Food was never like, are you hungry? Are you full? How how does your body feel? What does it feel like eating? And now, like with, with the intuitive eating thing, that just completely changed everything. And can you describe exactly what is intuitive eating? Sure. Well, it's like... I don't want to start off with the word rejection because that sounds kind of negative, but it is like a rejection of the, or letting go, maybe is better, of the diet mentality, which if once you start to become aware of it, you see just how infused our culture is in diet mentality, like everything, like all hail weight loss, like everything is about this helps you lose weight or this helps you not eat as much or this, I mean, everything. And it's like, it kills me. Because intuitive eating is just about starting to really listen in and tune in. And it was that process that then helped me start tuning in emotionally. And at first it's very mechanical, just like learning anything. Like when you learn to drive a car, it's very much like, what do I do? So you maybe like on a scale of one to 10, how hungry are you before you eat? Or how full are you after you eat? And so you really start to like break it down, but then it becomes much more natural. It's about never saying any food is off limits. So at the beginning it was... I was just absolutely eating anything. (laughs) But then your body also, once you go through that period of just letting yourself eat whatever you want, and especially things you said you couldn't have before, your body starts to just, like, tell you what it's craving. Last night I had dessert for dinner. (laughs) I did wake up kind of feeling like, you know, that sugar stomach? Oh, yeah. In the middle of the night I was like, why did I do that? (laughs) But in the moment it's what I wanted. I've been feeling a little more like that since the meeting last week. Like, if I want dessert for dinner, I'm having it for dinner. But even that, like, I mean, so I still do definitely have, like, I do still have thoughts about my body 
and about food. It never leads to action. Like I never, I haven't dieted since I haven't counted calories or weighed myself since going through therapy with Elise four years ago. But I definitely still have body dysmorphic periods where for like a few days I might just be like, gosh, I've gained so much weight. And it's, I now know to recognize it. I say it out loud. I tell my boyfriend I'm feeling that way because it just helps to say it out loud. And because he knows my story, he knows to remind me of this. And I also remind myself now that it feels real. It's not true. Even if it were true, it's okay. Like it's, but it, the, the point is it's not about weight. I now know to see those thoughts as just a red flag. Like, okay, what's really going on? Okay. You're really just upset about blank or you're really just sleep deprived or so, something else is always going on. And those are, that's just the way my brain just like tries to get my attention. Right. That's just the first sign. Mm-hmm. And I know that now. So now, now I'm able to stop it before it would ever lead to any kind of behavioral thing. So it's really kind of been a blessing because if I hadn't, like, you know, a lot of people, I feel like maybe just like functional alcoholics or people who do have issues, but they're never, they never hit rock bottom or they're never forced to face them. I feel like that's sad because it's just like, they just then kind of are in this no man's land where they're struggling, but not really sure why. And that's how I was until it really hit rock bottom. And so... I'm so glad it did, because then it brought me to really understanding what was going on. And now, basically, I have everything figured out. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true at She's all. She's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to believe that, like, the voice that I'm listening to that says you're doing the right thing. Or, I mean, just it's just like an intuitive gut feeling that knows that this is right for me. I just have to keep trusting that. Because that's what it's been. I mean, my confidence level has gone through the roof because I've realized that, oh, confidence, oh, okay, that's just like trusting yourself. Yeah. And I just had absolutely no trust in myself, let alone anyone else. It was just a very scary place to be. And now it's that trust. So I could look at it like, oh, man, I've really abandoned a lot of relationships and hurt people. And I know that I'm not saying I haven't hurt anybody because I'm sure a lot of people have been hurt by this, but I just trust that none of it has been done out of like hate or spite or like I'm not doing it. I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm doing it out of love. I still love, have love for everyone, but just. You have more love for yourself. Yeah. I need to take care of myself. Is that also part of the reason why you changed your name? I think so. I mean, a lot of it was like, I was just. I think the first name, because I had already dropped my last name when I moved out here, because if you Google my birth name, you find a little porn star who I didn't want to be associated with. <laughs> <laughs> and um, at 16, I like Googled, my sister and I, let's Google ourselves when Google first came out. And I just bawled my eyes out <laughs> as if being like, I've, I've matured now. Like a porn star is not like a serial killer or something you don't want to be associated with. But as an actor... To avoid confusion. I dropped the last name. And then, yeah, I think the dropping of the line out of Caroline was just like... My friends had called me Caro, and I just didn't feel like sweet Caroline. I didn't feel like that anymore. So I'm not that sweet. Okay, I'm sweet. But like, <laughs> I don't want to be like, sweet is so bad. But like, I just didn't feel like that. Oh, sweet Caroline. Like, she doesn't have any anything to say for herself like she just goes along to get along like no I'm not 
a go along to get along person. I don't want to be that. I want to have my own opinions and beliefs and stand up for them and be able to like voice my opinion more. And I'm starting to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the name change was for that. Signifies a new beginning. Yeah. A new confidence. Yeah. <laughs> Confident <laughs> Carol. <laughs> Confident Carol. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to end. I want to ask you just like some basic, well, not basic questions, but like whatever comes oh, off no. the top of your head. It's just three. I, just so you know, whenever this kind of thing happens, I usually go blank, but okay. <laughs> I will give it a chance. Uh, so the first one is a long one. What would you say to someone that you wish someone said to you 10 years ago to assist you in your recovery? I'm doing some math here to see how old I was 10 years ago. No, okay. Um, I mean, honestly, I kind of feel like it's what I tell myself every day now, which is whatever you're feeling is okay. That is so basic, but I used to just resist feeling like I can't be sad today, especially like on a day like today, I'm coming to record a podcast. So like I woke up in a really like sad, mm, icky kind of mood in place. But I'd be like, I can't, I just have to snap out of it, put a smile on, act like I'm really happy today. And now it's like, you are allowed to feel however you feel and really feel it because only really feeling it will it pass through and it'll last so it'll be so much quicker if you just let yourself feel it amen to that i will no longer settle for oh god i will no longer settle for what is popping in my head is like appearances like but that doesn't really make sense in that sentence (laughs) but i will no longer settle for a relationship for the sake of appearance oh I'm my most happiest when? When I'm doing characters. (laughs) (laughs) And the last thing, is there a quote that always lifts you up? It's a little cliche. And I don't even think I can quote it all the way, but it's the Marianne Williamson one. Give it a try. um, What we are afraid of is not our darkness, but our light. I really misquoted it. But that, yeah. I think we got the gist. <laughs> We're powerful beyond belief. Exactly. Thank you so much, Carol. You're welcome. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. This Thank was you. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so where can people find you if they want to know about Ooh. more about you, if they want to follow you, if they well, want to follow your journey? I'm pretty inconsistent on social media, but you want to check me out on the gram. It's at I really caro, C A R O. That's about it. <laughs> That's the only place I'm at. sometimes active. I just go through phases. I'm like, I want to be putting stuff out there, and then I'm like, oh, get away. <laughs> Can't do it. Well, thank you so much for coming thank to my you, closet. Sad. This was and amazing. Your closet's amazing. <laughs> I've just been like checking out this one dress this whole time. This one? No, the one this right one. there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Oh, listening to that conversation again, it um it really I really admire her. This is a it's a really personal thing to open up. I think especially uh for well, for anybody, but someone young to not only admit that you have this issue, but an eating disorder, but also to be able to really 
look inside yourself and kind of investigate your whole life and figure out where that came from and how can I fix it? And I love that Carol has grown into herself. I've seen it. I've talked to her. I see a growth in her as a person and how she has really the past few years come to stand up for herself even more and how her confidence in herself has grown. Her confidence in her talent has grown. Um, So yeah, please, if she's someone that you resonate with, definitely go follow her on Instagram at passengers, the show. It's a really, really, really funny um, sketch, uh, mini sketches that she performs as um, different people in the back of an Uber or Lyft, um, different characters. So uh, yeah, invite you to check that out. If comedy, sketch comedy is your thing. She's really hilarious. And you can also check her out, of course, on Instagram at IReallyCaro, where she shares a lot of her uh, journey about eating and a sketch and just insights about intuitive eating. So yes, definitely go there and check her out as well. I hope you liked this podcast. If you loved it, which I hope you did, please go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, say something, tell us what you loved about this podcast, what insight maybe you drew from it. Subscribe, click the subscribe button so you can get more. We're going to keep it coming for the next couple of months. Also check out our Instagram at that one blank friend. We're also on Twitter on that one blank FR1 and also on Spotify. We're going to be on other platforms soon. For right now, we're just on iTunes and Spotify. Um, you can always send me an email as well at that one blank friend at gmail.com. Maybe, just maybe out there, we have some sort of Kevin bacon connection and you have a story to tell hit me up send me an email at that one blank friend at gmail.com tell me your story i'd love to hear about it maybe you can be on the show i don't know we'll see um until next time you guys i'm just uh gonna keep drinking coffee and uh taking my vitamins i hope everybody's taking their vitamin c out there and staying safe and washing your hands wash them Wash them. Wash them. Okay, I'm going crazy. It's early in the morning right now as I'm recording this. Um, Yeah. Peace out, guys. I'll hear from you next time.